go ahead and get into God's Word this morning. We're going to finish up our series that we started a couple weeks ago called What's Love Got to Do With It? And we're wrapping up this series. And if you remember, two weeks ago, we looked at God's love for us. We looked at John 3.16. We broke that down. We talked about how God is love, how God gave His Son for us in the greatest example of love, and how everyone is able to come into relationship with Christ. That everyone is able to come into relationship with Christ. We all have that free will to make that choice and that decision to come into relationship with Christ. And then last week, we talked about our love for God. We talked about loving God with our whole heart, with our soul, and with our mind. We looked at that verse uh, last week from, from Matthew uh, uh, 27. Sorry, not, not 27. We looked at it from Matthew last week. And this week, we're going to look at our love for others. We looked at how God loves us, how we love God. This week, we're going to look at how we can love others. And the majority of our passage is going to come from Luke 10, 25 to 37. So if you'd like to turn in your Bible, that's where we're going to be reading from this morning as we actually look at the story of the Good Samaritan. And although February is almost over, Wednesday is the last day of February, the month of love can never compare to the story of God's love, right? We talked about that the first week, about the story of God's love for us, the ultimate love story, and God giving everything for us so that we can come into relationship with Him. Over and over again in Scripture, the Bible tells us how much God loves us. You can't read too far through a passage of Scripture without reading something about the love that God has for us. In many ways, you can look at Scripture and say, that it's God's love letter that he wrote to us. And much of it you see, especially in the New Testament, right? It's in red if you have a Bible that has red letters in it. It's Jesus speaking to us. And so as I said, today we're going to look at our love for others. And so the question we're going to focus on this morning is how much do I love others? Right? Last week we looked at how much do I love God. This week we're going to look at how much do I love others? We're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan, and we're going to pull out five different points from this story. So we're going to go ahead and start Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. It said, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is, uh, what is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. Continuing on in 29, says, But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil, on, uh, pouring oil in and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, 
he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Right? So I think most of us, we've all heard the story of the Good Samaritan, right? We've heard about the story, we've heard about how the priest and the Levite just saw what was going on and they passed by him and then the Samaritan comes and helps. Not only does he help, he provides for the guy, he gives um, to help with the guy's well-being. And we're going to look at that this morning, five different things we're going to pull out of that. And the first one we're going to look at is actually from the lawyer himself. It's a man who had a burning question. There was a guy who had a burning question. Right? In Matthew 22, 37 and 38, it's Jesus said, You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But if you pay close attention to what he comes next, in verses 39 and 40, and the second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law, and the prophets. So Jesus said that all of the law, right, everything that had been taught before, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. But you notice here, these two commandments, they're not suggestions, right? It's not saying it would be good for you to do these things. It would be honorable for you to do these things. They're not suggestions. They are commands. We are commanded to love God with all that we have. We are commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves. God has, has, has laid that commandment out for us. Jesus spoke those words. But however, when we rightly understand the depths of God's love and what he has done for you through Jesus, and when you receive that free gift of salvation, He gives you new life, right? We talked about that two weeks, the new life that comes through Christ. And so then what once seemed like a chore or a burden or contrary to what we like to naturally do, which is showing love to others, right? Showing love to others is not always easy for us to do, right? If we're honest and we go, there's days where it's really hard to show love other people, whether it's our spouse, someone in our family, a friend, a co-worker, there's just days that it's difficult for us to always show that love to other people. But as we, we walk in a relationship with Christ and as God has renewed our hearts, what was difficult and a chore and opposite of what is natural for us becomes a joy for us to do. It becomes a joy for us to show love to other people to care for other people. It's something that we begin to desire to do. You have new life in Christ, and the Spirit lives in you and guides you, as it says in John 16, 13. It is the Spirit who helps you live the life that you've been created to live. Our Spirit helps us to live the life that we've been created to live. Why? Because as we discussed last week, our Spirit was created for a relationship with God. That's what our spirit was created, to have a relationship with God. So now let's focus on the burning question that this guy had. The Bible says that he was an expert in the law. 
In other words, right, he knew all that the law had to say, so he already knew what the answer to this question really was. He had the head knowledge of the law, and although he knew the law, he wanted to find out, does Jesus know the law? Is Jesus going to have the right answer in mind when I ask him this question? And that seems strange, right? It seems strange you would think, why would somebody test Jesus in the law? Jesus not only knew the law, but Jesus and God wrote the law. They created the law. Ironically, so what happens here is we have the lawyer basically testing and questioning the person who wrote the law in the first place. The lawyer tests Jesus by asking him this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because deep down, this man, this lawyer, knew that there was more to life than just what was happening in the here and now. How did he know this? He knew it because the Bible, if you look back in Ecclesiastes 3.11, says, um, God made everything beautiful in its time. He also set eternity in the hearts of man. That means that we know that there's more to life than just what's going on right now. There's more to life than just our lifetime. There's a whole eternity that our life fits into the scope of, that we're a part of. And as we discussed last week, that our body, uh, that you are not a body with a soul, but rather we are a soul that has a body, right? Because our spirit, our soul was created for relation with God, and we, our, our body uh, enable, uh, holds that soul. But you are a soul that has a body. You've been created to live eternally in one of two places, right? We know that eternally there's only two options for where we go. There's heaven and there's hell. Those are the two options that we have when it comes to eternity. Jesus responded to the lawyer's question with another question, right? Which is always annoying, right? Everybody hates when you ask a question and then somebody else turns around and asks you a question right back. It's annoying. But that's what Jesus says right here. In verse 26, Jesus says, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus told the lawyer that he had answered him correctly. Because like I said, the lawyer had the head knowledge but his heart was far away from God. He tested Jesus because he was a self-righteous man. You see, he thought that he knew as much or more than Jesus did. He had the head knowledge. And so he had that self-righteousness of, I might be able to prove Jesus wrong on something. But it was all a head thing. It wasn't his heart. His heart was far away from God. And you can know that the, you can know the Bible from cover to cover, right? A lot of the people that are atheists or, or agnostic and the most opposed to God, a lot of them know the Bible from cover to cover. A lot of them study the scripture and they know it from cover to cover in their head. They just choose to not believe it. Right? So you can know the Bible from cover to cover, but unless it makes its way from your head down into your heart, you're still dead in your trespasses, as it says in Ephesians 2.1. You must desire more than head knowledge. You must trade that head knowledge in for heart knowledge. And you do this by turning from your sins and trusting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Jesus said to the lawyer, If you can do this, then you will live. The lawyer had yet to turn from his sins and trust Jesus at this point. Notice what he does next. He tries to justify himself, right? Which is what we all do. We, we, we were trying to outsmart somebody, 
and then they come back at us, and then we go, okay, now we're back to, how do I justify myself? How do I try to get something out of this situation here? And so the lawyer's trying to justify himself, and, and he qualifies and defines for him. He says, but who is a neighbor? Jesus, then, then who would be considered a neighbor? He has this self-righteous attitude of one that says, like, I'm already taking care of the people who are around me. But to him, it was nothing more than a list of do's and don'ts. He was concerned with nothing more than religion. It was just an outward appearance. That's what the lawyer was concerned about. Uh, the same burning question of this man should be the same question that each of us asks. What must we do to inherit eternal life? Love the Lord our God with our heart, our soul, and our mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. How do we get from here to heaven, right? Life is not just about the here and now, as we often hear in our culture, right? Today, people, whatever feels right today, do it. Whatever seems right for you, do it. Don't worry about what that's going to look like down the road. Don't worry about the consequences that are going to come with that. Just do it, because right now is what matters, right? That's what we hear people say all the time anymore today. We hear people say, I'll deal with the consequences down the road. A pastor named Adrian Rogers once said this about the American church and the American culture. He said, we are just making America a better place to go to hell from. He said, that's, we're making America a better place to go to hell from. And that's a scary thought when you think about some of the teachings that we hear today. We think about some of the theology and the things that not just churches, but all kinds of different types of places are trying to teach philosophies of, of how to get to the next world, of how to get from this life into the next life. We need to teach the truth, the honest truth of God's Word. If you hear nothing else I say today, please listen closely to this. Eternal life and a right standing with God cannot be earned. Right? You can't earn or buy your way into heaven with good deeds or money or service or any other type of works. Apart from Jesus, no amount of good deeds or money or service will save you from going to hell. Good works and head knowledge are not enough. It's not enough. It's about our heart. It's about surrendering it to God. It's about finding new life through Christ. You are made right with God by admitting your sins, by turning away from them, and trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Through grace, faith, in Christ alone. Faith is the vehicle that we are saved through. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? So that's what the Apostle Paul says. So we, we have a man here who had a burning question of saying, how do I inherit eternal life? And now we find if you move on in the passage, we have a man who's in desperate need. We have a burning question, now we have a man with a desperate need. Jesus uses this parable to teach you who your neighbor is and what it means to love your neighbor. Right? So what is a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We've been called to love our neighbor as 
ourselves. If you notice the man's journey, it says, Jesus said he was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And apparently this man must have, he must have went somewhere that he shouldn't have gone, or, or whatever happened. But the area that he traveled was not a very safe place to go to. And although the Bible gives us few details about what it was like in between Jerusalem and Jericho, we can all agree like this man, that we too are on a journey, right? We're all venturing from one place to another place. And there are challenges and opportunities that come along that journey. Life is a journey, and much like for this man, we are trying to get from point A to point B. If you're not careful, we can become quickly consumed by the day-to-day -day routines, forgetting the big picture, right? Getting so wrapped up and saying, I have to do this today, I have to do this tomorrow, and I have to do this on Wednesday, and then we go, wait, what about the big picture? What about what, what, what God is trying to do outside of this week in my life? Yes, God supplies His mercies every day to help me to make it through today, but what about what God is trying to do outside of today, outside of just the small glimpse that today is? Not only was this man on a journey, he encountered a big problem when he was there. The Bible said that he fell among thieves. He was minding his own business when he was attacked. The thieves jumped him. And likewise, there are thieves around you every day. Thieves who may be seeking to jump you. And maybe it's not physically. We know that the thief of all thieves is on the prowl. And that thief is Satan himself. John 8.10 Jesus said that Satan was a thief from the very beginning has come to what? to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan has come to do and is continuing to try to do in our lives today along the journey that we're on. This man was also wounded. So he was not just, just not slapped on the wrist. The guy was severely beaten. It said that he was beaten half to death is what Scripture says. So he was left to die by these thieves. And he had a great need. He needed someone who could come and help him, someone who could provide care for him, someone that could get him to a place where he could get the attention that he needed. He needed someone to rescue him from his hopeless situation. How many of you have ever been in a hopeless situation? I have. I've been in a hopeless situation, and I'm glad that there were people who came and they rescued me from that hopeless situation. So we have a man here. The man in desperate need represents you represents us as individuals, right? Because without Jesus, we're in a hopeless situation. Without Jesus, we're hopeless. We needed someone to rescue us from our sin and the despair that we live in. And that's what Jesus did. It talks about that in Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. So we have a man with a burning question, and now we have a man in desperate need. What do we find next in this passage? We find two men who were totally consumed with themselves. The priest was more concerned with ritual than anything else. One pastor put it this way. He said that the job of the priest was to offer sacrifices and to present incense to the Lord. Saying culturally in that time, as a priest, that was what was expected of them, was to offer sacrifices and present incenses to the Lord. And he was more concerned with fulfilling those responsibilities than he was with helping someone who was in desperate need when he saw them on the side of the road left to die. The priest's to-do list 
was more important to him than helping those who are around him. Ouch, right? Because what about you and your life? What about me and my life? Does that list of things that we have to do become so important that it blinds us from seeing those who are in need around us? Right? Does that list become our focus? Or is the list something we do, but we have, we're, we're open to what God is trying to do. We're open to the opportunities that come our way. This man, the priest, was consumed with himself, but he wasn't the only one. The second man was a Levite who came by. And the Levite is responsible for helping the priest. Both of these individuals were religious men. Like the priest, the Levite saw him helpless, hopeless, left for dead, and he turned his head and he passed by on the other side. God doesn't want a bunch of religious people. He doesn't want a bunch of, of religious people. He wants people to have a relationship with him, and through that relationship, his love is shown. Religion without relationship is worthless. If you have true love, true love keeps you be from becoming consumed with yourself like these two men were. We have the burning question. We have a man in desperate need. We have two men who were consumed with themselves. Fourth, we find a man who is moved by compassion. A man who is moved by compassion. The third man was quite different from the first two men that came by the injured guy. Unlike the other two, who appeared to be religious individuals, this man, uh, this was a man who even the Jewish religious leaders would have despised, right? The Samaritans were like the worst of the worst to the Jews. They had no respect for the Samaritans at all. They hated and despised them. They wanted absolutely nothing to do with them. Outwardly, the good Samaritan would have been despised, but inwardly, the good Samaritan had a heart of gold. He had a heart of gold inside of him. God does not look at our outward appearance, right, as people do, as the world does. God looks at our heart. Of the three men in the story, we should all desire to have a heart like the Samaritan did. This man got it. He understood the situation and what was going on. He had compassion for the man, and he reached out to help him in need. He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He wasn't afraid to help this guy. He was not afraid of what somebody else might think about him helping this man. He simply saw someone in need, and he was willing to help rescue them from a hopeless situation that they were in. Not only did this man have compassion on the wounded man, but he also did for the man what the man couldn't do for himself. He bandaged his wounds. He provided medical assistance. Right? He, he didn't have any rubber gloves with him. He didn't have a first aid kit with him, different things like that. He just simply took what he had, he jumped in, and he began to care for this man in that moment of need. He cleaned and bandaged his wounds. He then set the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn. He provided for the guy's immediate needs, and he also gave the innkeeper two denarii, which is comparable to a day's worth of wages. So he gave the, the innkeeper a whole day's worth of wages, and he said, here, take care of him. And if he needs more help, if it's more than what I've given you, 
when I come back, I'll pay you whatever the difference is of what I gave you and what it ended up costing. He instructed the innkeeper to take care of this guy, reassuring him that he would pay for anything that the man needed. We need to be thankful for the story of the Good Samaritan because the Good Samaritan represents Jesus in our lives, Jesus to us today. Matthew 9, 35 and 37. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus was moved by compassion, by the need, by the multitudes of needs that he saw represented by the people that came to hear him share. When it comes to compassion, right, as it is with most areas, Jesus is the ultimate example for us to strive after, to follow after in our lives. God had compassion for you, for me. Look at the similarities between the Good Samaritan and Jesus in these couple verses. Romans 5, 8 said, While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. As I said, the Samaritan cleaned and bandaged the man's wounds. When you turn to Jesus, this is what he does for you. He cleanses, he cleans you from the inside out as you surrender your heart to him. One of my favorite hymns has these words. It says, What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The Samaritan took the man to the inn, and one day, likewise, Jesus is going to take us to heaven. The Samaritan provided for the man's immediate needs. Jesus also provides for our immediate needs. He has come that we may have life and have it to the fullest, as it says in John 10.10. Moment by moment, Jesus has promised to be with us. However, we are confined to our sinful bodies, right? There are days we just don't get it right. There's days we mess up. There's days that we make mistakes. We have the promise from his word that if we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in 1 John 1, 9. Jesus provided for the man's immediate needs. He provides for your immediate needs as well. The man also, as I said, gave the innkeeper the two denarii, a day's worth of wages. He provided for the guys not just immediate needs, but his future needs. He said, he's going to need help moving forward too and thinking forward. Likewise, Jesus provided help for us thinking forward too in the sending of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, Paul said, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of an inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise 
of his glory. The Samaritan instructed the innkeeper to take care of the wounded man as well as his future needs. Jesus has also promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will take care of your immediate needs as well as your future needs. Simply, we're asked to obey him, to trust him in those areas. And finally, as we close up, the last thing that we're going to look at from this passage today is I believe that there's a message for all of us to be taken out of this passage. Jesus asked the lawyer, if you look back at it again, he said, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Because of his prejudice, the lawyer refused to say the Samaritan, right? As a Jewish leader, they, they did not like Samaritans. He refused to call him a Samaritan. He did say, though, he said, the one who showed mercy on him. Now, don't miss the instruction that Jesus gave following that. It said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Wait, we can, we can read the story and learn about what's happened, but if we don't go and show that same love and compassion to other people, all it is is a bunch of head knowledge. We have to apply it. We have to live it out in our lives. Go and do likewise. Kennedy, you and Rachel can come back up. But who do we go to? It says go and do likewise. Go to whom? Jesus. To those around you in need. To anyone who in need. Not just those who live next door to you. Right? It doesn't mean that it's just by process of, of, of actual physical location. It doesn't mean that you just help the neighbor who lives next to you. It's helping those who are in need that you see. Helping those in need. Going and doing likewise. Right? Are you going to earn the ability to enter into eternal life? No, we can't. Right? We can't earn that. But by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we can know where our eternity rests. But the thing is, our faith, our salvation, should cause us to want to do something. It should move us. We should be compelled by that faith that we have inside of us to have other people experience the same faith. The story of the Good Samaritan is just a picture of God's love for you. Just as the Good Samaritan loved the man who was in need, you have also been called to love. We have been called to love other people. First and foremost, we are to love God. Secondly, we are to love others. That's what the commandment is, to love God, to love others. That's what it's all about. So what does love have to do with it, getting back to what we started with? Love has everything to do with it. Everything is motivated by love. Everything is driven by love. Everything is moved by love. God's love for us first, and then as we receive God's love, sharing God's love with other people, that other people can receive God's love. Then the question is, are we committed to loving God and committed to loving others? Are we committed to loving God and committed to loving others? Right? Is it something that's in our heart or is it something that's simply in our head as knowledge? This morning as we wrap up, 
We're going to have a time of prayer. But I want you to just think through that. Where, if I'm honest with myself, if I really reflect upon my relationship with the Lord and where I'm at right now, how, how committed am I? Am I committed to loving God? Am I committed to loving others? Maybe you're more committed in one area than the other. But we're called to do both. We're called to love God. We're called to love others. God, we do desire more of you. More of your presence. More of your love. More of your power. More of your spirit. Father, we just desire more of you. Father, we know that where we find that is in your presence. It's it's putting ourselves at your feet. It's being intentional and setting aside time and saying, God, not only do I hope to see those things, but God, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put action to it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna set aside time to just be with you. Father, I know that as I enter your presence, that your spirit, that your power will move in my life, will move through me. God, that you will direct me and you'll guide me and you'll show me what it is that I am to do. Father, help us to be a church and a, and, and a body, God, of believers that puts our faith into action. That the faith that we have in our heart and the knowledge, God, that you've given us, God, that we would use them for your glory, for your honor. That we wouldn't hold on to them, God, that we wouldn't become consumed with ourselves, become self-righteous, or become distracted by other things, by our, our to-do list and our priorities that we think we have. The God, that we would be moved by compassion when we see need around us. That you would help us, Father, to love you with all that we have and to love others with all that we have. We know that you help us to do that, Lord. We ask that you continue to fill us with that love, with that compassion, with that desire. Because in and of ourselves, in our flesh, in our nature, that's difficult. But you help us to be able to do so, Lord. We thank you for that. Father, I just pray now as we go into our time of fellowship, that you will just bless that time, you'll bless our conversations, you'll bless the food to our body. And Lord, I just pray a blessing over each and every volunteer here in this church. God, many who are here today and many who are not. God, I pray that wherever they are, God, they would sense your presence. They would sense you with them where they are. God, and that you would just bless them in an extra portion of your blessing today. For all that they do for your kingdom. God, for all that they do to help reach the lost. God, for all that they do to be the hands and feet of Jesus to Chisholm, to the Iron Range and around the world. God, we know that the greatest days are still in store. And it takes workers. Lord, we are here as your workers. We're here. We are ready, Father, for the harvest. Ready to see, Father, the lost come be found. Jesus, we just thank you again for who you are. Thank you for your love, for your compassion. We just ask now 
as we go that you would be with us. Father, keep us safe on the road as we travel home after our meal. God, we just thank you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.